Hello, you're listening to the Technology Magazine podcast. In this episode, we speak to Indipal Bandari, Global Chief Data Officer at IBM. Find out more about the company's approach to data strategy and digital transformation during COVID-19, as well as decision-making in relation to artificial intelligence. Okay, well, look, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll get started. Um, just a starter for 10. You wouldn't mind, just in your own words, just a kind of brief introduction to yourself. I mean, really particularly interested in... in your kind of experience in the, in the field uh, related to leadership roles and, and obviously how that's kind of influenced and, and driven your approach or, or your methodology to this journey. You know, in 2006, uh, mm-hmm. I became the chief data officer of a healthcare company. Okay. And uh, at that time, um, you know, so prior to that, I was a, an entrepreneur for 10 years. I ran my own company for 10 years where I was actually selling data products. But this was my first uh, corporate leadership role. Okay, fantastic, yeah. In, uh, in 2006. And at that time, there were only four chief data officers, chief analytics officers, you know, that yeah, particular yeah. area. There were only four of us globally. <laughs> Really a rare breed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it was uh, very early. Uh, mm-hmm. I was in early on that, uh, you know, on that profession. Yeah. And I was the I was the first one in healthcare. So the, you know, healthcare didn't have a chief data officer. There was mm. you know, one for in credit cards, one in banking, and one in the internet area. Mm-hmm. And then there was myself in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, the profession actually uh, took off, uh, and now they're literally, you know, they they number in the thousands globally. Chief data analytics officers, absolutely, and yeah. Most chief digital officers also. I mean, they, these are all three related areas, and I'll get into that a little bit why they are related if you're interested. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but so then the you know the these this set of professions just started taking off. And now there are literally thousands globally. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate that I managed to continue working and learning about the profession as I worked, right? So it was literally learning by doing yeah. uh, that I managed to, uh, to hone this craft of being a, a chief data digital analytics officer, right? That. Mm whole, uh, the, the approach to that, uh, to that profession. And uh, so what happened as the profession grew and as enterprises became much more aware yeah. of the fact that, hey, this is important, you know, data is actually an asset. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not something that uh, is primarily just uh, the exhaust of doing business. Uh, you can actually use this. And uh, as as that awareness settled in, uh, you know, at the CEO level, we saw the profession take off. And I ended up uh, doing this for four different companies. Okay. IBM being my fourth go around as uh, chief data officer. And that enabled me to really hone that craft. Absolutely, yeah. You know, by now it's uh, it, it really is a craft. I know exactly what I'm going to do, stepping into the job, and uh, how it's going to unfold. What are the milestones I need to hit? 
so you know, I have all that uh, frame sure, sure. very cleanly now. But that was that was not the case uh, before. I pretty right. much learn it on the fly. And as it turned out, of the original four, I'm the only one who's still active. Oh, really? Wow. So, yes. Yeah. So, so that makes it, uh, you know, that 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 puts me at the helm of the of the profession, so to speak, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, so the, that, the, the original, almost as you say, you, you've honed the craft, and and you're you're still there. Um, I'm still there. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it has. <laughs> But it has enabled me to contribute to multiple organizations, mm. uh, you know, to grow their uh, data and analytics capabilities, their organizational capabilities, because they didn't exist when I uh, went in, mm -hmm. and, uh, and obviously learn more as I've been uh, as I've been doing this. As well as you know, it's also a very dynamic industry; it changes very rapidly. Yeah. So, two thousand and six. Uh, AI was still very much treated as a research topic. Mm -hmm. You know, now fast forward to 2020, uh, it's a very different story. I mean, uh, sure. the chief data officer is, in essence, the chief analytics, uh, the chief AI officer as well. Absolutely, yeah. Because, you know, it's it's so central. Data being so central to driving AI. And yep. so you, you, the So the profession has evolved. Uh, as the technology has evolved, it's mm. also evolved as uh, the awareness at a business level, at an enterprise level of uh, transformation, you know, that the fact mm -hmm. that the emerging technologies are able to fuel very, very powerful transformations in the enterprise. Yeah. Uh, as that has taken hold, you know, the profession has evolved again with that. So I'd say that's how... Uh, you know, just that's how my journey has shaped me to where I am today. You know, you mentioned it's a rapidly changing industry, and, and I'd imagine in, in that period the landscape has changed immensely, as, as you kind of alluded to there. But I mean, what, what would you say have been the kind of real key trends or developments or, or most significant kind of, I guess, developments within data and the technology that, that you've noticed throughout that period? Right, cloud computing. And then uh, with the advent of cloud computing, Cybersecurity mm -hmm. also became extremely important. So mm -hmm. that's another area where uh, chief data officers, you know, just have to be right up on it, working very closely with the chief security officers. And yep. so and the related area with that is all the stuff around data privacy, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all the legal aspect, like uh, EU GDPR, you know, as a regulation I'm sure you're very familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, Data officers, again, key to driving all that stuff. So uh, that's another uh, another part of that of that trend. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I mentioned uh, AI, you know, yep. which really uh, once all the massive resources became available uh, through cloud computing, but not just through cloud com computing. When I say cloud now, I'm really talking about uh, the hybrid cloud. When I'm okay. talking about the AI context, right? It's really mm -hmm. a hybrid cloud. It's not just a, uh, a publicly available uh, elastic resource that you can you can dial up and down for uh, compute and storage. Sure. I'm also talking about the devices at the edge, uh, you know, which which mm -hmm. which are making use of that data and that intelligence and that insight. So uh, what people are referring to now as edge computing is kind of the mm -hmm. 
you know, but, but that's all being fueled now through the second wave of cloud, which is the hybrid cloud, where you 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 have multiple environments, some which are public cloud, but some that are actually multiple private clouds and also on-prem uh, systems as well as edge computing devices. So uh, there's the hybrid cloud uh, part of the trend now, and, mm -hmm. and AI is going to write that very very closely, right? So if you think of yeah. all the devices at the edge. Uh, you know the uh, the the IoT uh, devices, the robotic devices, the autonomous driving vehicles, etc. So you can just keep building on that, right? So sure, sure. Uh, this is another uh, aspect now, which uh, is going to really you know shape and drive AI, much as AI is going to shape and drive that aspect as well. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so so that's why I'm clubbing it under cloud computing. Broadly speaking, as both initially it was the public cloud, then onto hybrid cloud, then artificial intelligence, and the related areas of uh, edge computing, 5G, uh, etc., cybersecurity, mm -hmm. key one, you know that, uh, and the related areas of uh, data privacy, yeah, that, that, and then uh, further out on that stuff, you've got uh, blockchain. Which also has the potential of transforming uh, data mm -hmm. and data ownership. You know, so you see uh, emerging trends around data sovereignty, where the idea there is that people own their own data, yep. but the yep. technology has to kind of get there to be able to support that kind of stuff. And you know, so blockchain goes to that uh, that concept. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, it's a very very uh, sharply changing uh, technology Absolutely. landscape. But then with that, you've also got uh, sharply changing awareness, you know, increasing awareness and willingness to uh, to adopt on the, mm -hmm. on the side of the business with the senior leadership, like the CEOs gaining much more of an understanding of what these trends and technologies are able to do to transform their businesses. And then I think by now, uh, they've come to realize that it's not a question of uh, should we do it. It's a question of when we do it. Because if we yeah. don't do it, uh, you know, we won't really be relevant. Sure, sure. Uh, and 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 I guess that last point of of the adoption and and the awareness of the adoption. That, I mean, maybe it's uh, perhaps too broad, but 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 generally, where, where would you say that that enterprises are with with that awareness and that realization and and the adoption? Do, do you think that it is uh, a strong way along the journey already for, for a lot of enterprises. Do, do you think that that awareness and that real true understanding of all of those technologies and the capabilities is still in its early stage? I'm, I'm just trying to sort of understand that, that business awareness and adoption, really. Yes, yes. So I would say, um, you know, when I, when I started on this journey in 2006, hmm. the adoption was very low. Okay. So even when... Uh, there were only four of us, but even the way I got that job was uh, I was working as a consultant at a at that uh, healthcare company yeah. uh, for their chief product officer, and he was quite impressed with the work I was doing. And mm -hmm. he said, "Why don't you come and work with us?" And I said, well, "What would I do?" He said, "Well, why don't you define your job?" And I came up <laughs> with the title of chief data officer because I felt that uh, you know enterprises needed to go down that route. Sure. Yeah. So that right. Yeah. Was kind of almost created that there was really no real awareness like that, and but now, 
I think uh, from a data as a competitive asset, uh, you know, that particular mindset, I think mm. has really uh, taken hold. And I okay. think from an awareness standpoint, I would be surprised if there was any CEO uh, who didn't understand that, you know, at, mm. in any of the larger enterprises, that they did not mm. understand that data is actually an asset and it can give them a competitive advantage and so forth. But I think that, uh, you know, the stuff that we talked about post with yeah. regard to artificial intelligence and uh, hybrid cloud. And so that's still all very early in the game. Yeah. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, in, in our research, what we've seen is in terms of, uh, of moving workloads uh, to the cloud in terms of critical workloads that enterprises have, and you know, Mike can give you the exact number, but my impression is it's like around less than 20% of the really? workloads right. have actually mm. moved there. And if you think in terms of AI workloads, I'll tell you that you know the uh, the percentage is going to be even less uh, because people might think mm. that well, if it's an AI workload, it's likely to be on the cloud. Yeah, that is correct. If you look at it as uh, you know from the standpoint of workloads that are using AI today that have moved to the cloud, yes, it will be a higher percentage but than the 20. But the way to look at it is the workloads that should be using AI mm. and are on the cloud, because AI itself has not really been adopted at scale in uh, you know, at an enterprise level. Mm. And so I think that's the, so when I say that, you know, when we talk about potential AI workloads, it's a much, much bigger number and it's largely untapped right now right i think okay very little penetration uh, presently uh, and i'm assuming i mean I, I, I touched on this a little bit later but but we're, we're sort of covering it now you know I, I was referring to to one of your your blog posts that carol kindly shared um about the the global c-suite study and and you you were talking about ai pioneers and and Obviously, we're sort of touching on that now. It, it, is that just because we're very early in, in the, the development of the technology, as it were, at sort of enterprise scale, or are there other reasons why, why that adoption is, is so low? So I think uh, it's hard. Right? <clears throat> that's, that's currently, it's like it's early in the game, so it's mm. hard to put it together. And mm. uh, there, is, uh, there, is no, uh, there was no real vision of really what AI means for an enterprise. So from a yep. consumer standpoint, people have a good understanding of AI, mm -hmm. right? Thanks to the likes of Google and Amazon, uh, people have just by now an intuitive sense of what AI can do mm -hmm. in, in what they're doing with it at a consumer level. But from mm -hmm. an enterprise standpoint, that was just, uh, the awareness was just not there. The understanding was just not there. And I'll give you my own example. I mean, when, we, when I joined IBM, uh, that was uh, one of the first things that came up as a potential gap that our clients who you know look very much like IBM they're also large enterprises yeah uh, from the, from an from an enterprise standpoint what should ai be mm. uh, you know we didn't think that they had a good understanding of that in fact i would argue that even we were finding our way through that and that became uh, the mission of my organization in 2015, December, when I joined IBM, you know, our uh, data strategy really, when we settled on it in six months or so, was to make IBM itself into a cognitive enterprise or an AI enterprise. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we use the words uh, 
interchangeably. So we were going to make IBM itself into an AI enterprise and then use that as a showcase for our clients and customers so yep. that then yep. they would gain an understanding <clears throat> as well of what that is. So a lot of the materials that were sent to you will, will be in that spirit. You know, the, the cognitive blueprint, the AI accelerator, all that stuff was set up to help yep. Yep. in moving what we did internally uh, out to our clients. Great. I was interested in the, the cognitive enterprise uh, terminology and, and maybe getting a little bit more sort of an understanding yeah. of, of what that really means to you in terms of how you approach that initially. Um, you mentioned perhaps you could sort of tell me the distinction or differences between cognitive enterprise and AI enterprise. So perhaps, um, obviously, if you're looking at that sort of 2015 standpoint and, and that those six months of planning the strategy, perhaps you could tell me a little bit more about that sort of understanding of a cognitive enterprise and... and Yes, yes. No, absolutely. Thank so, you. you know, I, as I said, I know on day one what I'm going to do when I step into this role. So yep. I, when I, you know, when I joined IBM, they didn't have this organization. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't set up. It had to be set up from scratch. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the first things I do is to embark on, uh, on data strategy, which is basically... Mm -hmm. What is this department going to do? What's its mission? You know, why would it? Why should it exist? And what is its approach? Uh, yep. what, what What's the data strategy? And the data strategy, uh, and you know, so I have five steps like that that you kind of got to go through. Three start on day one, uh, one being the data strategy, and then the data strategy is tied, has to be tied to the business strategy, and by mm -hmm. business strategy I mean. How is the company planning to make money? Not necessarily how it makes money today, but how is it planning to make money? And uh, in our case, in the case of IBM, it was very clear when you talk to the senior leadership, we were, even though we made money from mainframes and middleware and software and stuff like that, it was clear we were planning to make money primarily from cloud and AI. Yep. And then my next question was, well, this is great, but do our clients even understand what that is? And then the answer was no. And then th that's how we arrived at this notion of uh, that our data strategy, even though it's you know very broad uh, from mm -hmm. the standpoint of being a data strategy, but you kind of pretty much have to follow wherever the business strategy takes you to hone in on what your data strategy has to be. Otherwise, uh, what ends up happening is you're not aligned with the business interest and so very quickly then you just become, uh, as a chief data or chief analytics officer, you just become a tactician where, you know, whatever is the burning need of the day from the standpoint of data, you just address that, but you don't really have a major strategic impact on the company that uh, data can absolutely deliver. Yeah, so, yeah I you know, Right, so, that, so that's, that, that's the idea. So we kind of said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then we had to think about, well, what does that mean? You know, what is a cognitive enterprise? What is an AI enterprise? What does that really mean? And so we have to hone that out. So when I joined, the understanding very, you know, very, very low on what this means. Mm -hmm. But everybody understood it needed to be done. It also needed to be done internally because that's what our transformation was going to be based on. So mm -hmm. um, uh, essentially, we were going to transform IBM to be a cognitive enterprise. Yep. So the anecdote I want to tell you is, you know, in my organization, there is uh, there, there is there is somebody who whose role is to classify whether a client that we're working with 
is a government-owned entity or not. So it's a very low-level job in some sense, right? I mean, it's basically mm-hmm. all our you know clients, whether or not it's a government-owned entity, determine that and then classify the client that way. And the, but the, it's also very important because we are a global company. We hold ourselves to very high ethical standards. There are different rules and laws as to how one deals with uh, government-owned entities. And mm-hmm. uh, so we have to get it right. Most of the time we do, sometimes we get it wrong. Uh, but you know, we kind of learn from those experiences. And in the past, this was an exercise where this person would do a bunch of research on the company. Then they would uh, talk to the legal folks, you know, who would be very conservative in yep, terms of yep. how they looked at the company. They would talk with the sales force folks. They would be very liberal because you know they they didn't want any constraints. They wanted to be able to sell. So. Yep. Uh, so, and eventually you can just imagine the back and forth and all that stuff that would go on. And eventually we would arrive at a classification. And as I said, you know, a very large percentage of the time we got it right, but you know, it took us a while to do it, et cetera. Now, you know, fast forward, this is really, this really now makes use of artificial intelligence. You know, our, mm-hmm. basically our Watson AI capabilities. And uh, we, we are, Essentially, not only do we have access to our historical data as to how yep. we have labeled companies as government-owned entities and whether that was right or wrong, so we could learn from those mistakes, but we're also able to monitor and sift through all the real-time information on that company. So things like this company, you know, a news report or a press release that says this company was acquired by the government is obviously, you know, straight off give you the understanding this is a government-owned entity but even Mm -hmm. something more subtle like the founder of this company is now appointed to a high-level government committee uh, would also give us pause i mean it may not end up in classifying it as a government-owned entity but it would be certainly taken into consideration so now you've got that person actually working with watson to do all this Mm. and now you can kind of see how the ai system is learning that knowledge is helping arrive at a decision much more accurately, much more quickly, and uh, also reducing the back and forth that was there between all the different departments that were involved in this. Mainly because once you've got this system that has all this information, can sift through it, can present information that's relevant, can provide options in terms of how you look at this, it just makes the argument much more complete and much quicker to to mm-hmm. to get at. There's not that much disagreement. There's not that much room for disagreement as well. So this is an example of using AI in the context of one very low level, and I would say you know it's like a small small fraction of the work that we do with an IBM to mm-hmm. make a business decision. Now just multiply that right a million fold across every significant business decision that we are making that you have to have that kind of capability so this is how i kind of envisioned it and described it that we have to work in ai into every business process that Mm -hmm. we have you know whether it be in supply chain whether it be in accounts receivable finance marketing you know procurement Mm-hmm. You've got to have AI infused into all those business processes, because just as you know the example I gave you, you can see that it's going to be used at every level of the game. Yeah, absolutely, of course. Yeah, truly effective and competitive. Yeah. 
So you have to then, that suggests you've got to scale it across the entire enterprise. Mm -hmm. So how do mm -hmm. you do that, right? That becomes the, the mission. But at least in terms of a statement, we had at that point arrived at that, that every business processes, process has to be making use of, uh, of AI. Yeah. And uh, we went after all these different processes. And you know, in terms of our journey, we set up the company so that we could rapidly go from one process to the other. And the difficulties with applying AI is it's hard. The skills are, you know, there are rare skill sets that you need, mm -hmm. et cetera. So it's impossible for a, a, a department like say procurement to jump on that and run with it unless you have uh, some central capability. And I don't mean central capability in terms of technology, but I mean more in terms of organizational capability where mm -hmm. they are able to tap into the skill sets, they are able to tap into trusted data sources, they are able to tap into AI methodologies, it's already all set up so that they can then apply it rapidly to the area that they know well, and then they're able to get to better decisions quicker. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the, you know, that's, that's, that's what I meant by saying the central capability, which is kind of the role that my organization plays within, uh, within the company to pull that off as an enabler of AI, right? So get yeah, the data yeah. to a stage where you can actually enable AI within the company, which also means that you're able to engage with all the system subject matter experts, the subject matter experts and domain experts so that they can then apply AI rapidly. So that was kind of the journey. And then finally, now we have understood that these are eventually what we are striving for are intelligent workflows, right? Mm -hmm. I gave you an example of a very simple workflow, but you can think of end-to-end -end workflows like going from lead generation all the way to cash, whether, you know, when you close the sale and you actually get paid. So, yep, yep, uh, yep. so you know, you, you have these large end-to-end -end workflows within uh, a company, you know, whether it be uh, hire to exit, you know, lead to cash, so uh, just monitoring, monitoring performance across the enterprise. So there are these intelligent workflows that you have to set up, uh, which are, could be at the mega level like that, but also eventually when you start peeling them down, get to these individual decision points that, sure. uh, that have to be made. So uh, now you'll see a lot of our offerings are around in intelligent uh, workflows, you know, as a company yeah. that we're bringing yeah. forward to our, to our uh, clients. Uh, so that's the natural evolution of the part that I, I described to you. No, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, I mean, one thing while we're talking about cognitive enterprise, um, again, again, in, in some of the sort of background information uh, that, that I was looking at as, as research, um, you discuss how, uh, you know, that, that there are several leaders and, and enterprises sort of questioning where to infuse cognition and, and how do we do it? Where does that sort of questioning come in, in terms of uh, how the, those organizations aren't really seeing where to apply it in the first instance? And I guess, how is IBM helping its customers and other enterprises to, to make that realization and to understand that and to, to be able to develop a, a strategy of their own? Yes. So, you know, where that comes up, that type of thinking comes up naturally mm. when an enterprise is trying to make a decision on mm. uh, how to embark in AI. And again, yeah. it's because uh, the understanding is not really fully there. And so mm -hmm. they're thinking, well, what should we do this? And, and the natural uh, you know, approach to handle new projects 
uh, by mm -hmm. any really prudent company is, hey, we got to start small. Find a project where you can apply this to. And then, you know, you can go off and uh, get that done. And uh, that's a, you know, perfectly legitimate uh, way to think about it. And what that leads to is project level success, mm -hmm. essentially. What it doesn't lead to is the ability to scale what you've done, because that's, you know, those are things that you have to, you, you have to set up outside of that project in a way that you're able to enable AI across the entire enterprise. Yep. So this thing that I talked about with regard to, and you, you men, you've seen mention about our, our uh, ladder, you know, AI ladder, ladder to AI. How yes, you can, I have, yeah. You know, all the, you know, you basically have to collect the data, you have to organize it, you have to make sure it's trusted, you have to analyze it, you've got to enable all that. So there's a whole, just like we talked about workflows, right? There's a mm -hmm. whole flow of data and uh, there's a pipeline of activities that need to be done and set up and automated and streamlined and all that. Only then are you able to get to a place where you can actually scale this across the enterprise. Okay. Now, the issue that happens when a, an enterprise is first embarking on this is before they start outlaying, uh, you know, major capital to embark down this path, they want to see some proof points. And that's how they end up starting out with some, uh, you know, project level work. Mm -hmm. I would say that's really level zero, because okay. what okay. that'll do is that will come back with some proof points as to why things are, uh, you know, that AI actually works, but all the larger issues that they will need to wrestle with when they move the full enterprise to, uh, to make use of AI would you know still need to be uh, would still need to be addressed? Yeah. So it's a, it's a good thing. Uh, it's kind of also because of the way, just by definition of the way it's set up. You know, it's critical you select the right project because you don't want it to fail, and uh, so then you're you know you spend a lot of time trying to understand what that is. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, my experience, uh, just to give you a sense, uh, and not now you know uh, by now of course it's taken hold in a way that we've got these intelligent workflows people are working on and so forth. And so uh, the, 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 the larger initiatives are taking hold. But mm -hmm. when I started out and we were kind of at, uh, you know, ground zero on this, yeah. then we got to a stage where we had, uh, this was end of last year, 100,000 active users using our our central data and AI capabilities to wow, essentially right. infuse AI into their business processes. You know, mm -hmm. 100,000 active users across the company, um, which is a pretty high rate of adoption. But I would say that maybe 15 to 20% of those came from a top-down type of project, mm -hmm. while 85%, 80 to 85% of those came from a bottom-up you know, subject matter expert to subject matter expert interaction, just because we'd set up the capability. And so, you know, my subject matter experts yeah. have a whole change, you know, a whole adoption group, uh, which, you know, what they do is they talk to their counterparts who are in accounts receivable or, you know, in procurement, actually doing work, right? They're doing their actual mm -hmm. work, saying, hey, we've got all this stuff set up. Why don't you guys try to use this? And then they get excited, they start working together, and then they just take it to a whole new level. Mm. So we got that traction 
through that bottom-up capability initially. And I yeah. think when you go project by project like that, you run the risk of A, making the wrong selection for a project and mm -hmm. thereby going, you know, going wrong there. So you have to spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, and then B, you still have this broader work to be done in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, just getting the data ready and enabling the company for AI. So while I appreciate the thinking there in terms of uh, why people are going about it that way, let's supply AI at a specific, uh, on a specific project, uh, mm -hmm. eventually, you know, they, they've, they, they, to, to really gain the competitive advantage and so forth, you've got to do it in this, in this manner where you enable the enterprise to get it done. Absolutely. And, uh, I think for certain businesses, you know, the first approach could work. If, if you're purely, um, you know, if, if you're a company that grew up in the cloud era, mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. see that. I can see that you could, you go project by project and so on. Because for the most part, a lot of your data collection organization, that's, you know, that's kind of done for you to be able to run your business. But if mm -hmm. you're a company that looks like us, where you have a large mix of uh, legacy versus cloud and so forth, Oh, the the enablement aspect that I talked about is critical, you know. So, um, which which is which is kind of why uh, we think that that's uh, that's an extremely important part of uh, what needs to be done for large enterprises. I mean, if if we could just touch a little bit more on on has there been anything that that maybe you 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 didn't expect when you had that very clear view and vision for for what you wanted, and and have there been any sort of significant challenges? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the way I would describe it is my approach is really a uh, fail frequently, fail fast kind mm. of approach. So we're learning mm. always on the while we kind of do this on the fly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, even the, the example that uh, that I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I'd mentioned to you about infusing, you know, AI into various business processes and enabling, uh, enabling uh, the company then to be able to make use of AI on a, at a scale level. I mean, all that stuff grew out of maybe, you know, several multiple, uh, for lack of a better word, you could call it experiments that we tried and failed at and then we learned from and we eventually arrived at the right, uh, the right mix. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's when you can kind of think of it as a static, you know, as a static business situation where the business environment hasn't changed dramatically. And then when you do things like also like, you know, we acquired Red Hat, uh, mm -hmm. then that just changes the whole thing again, because the strategic aspect of the business has changed. And so your data strategy has to change and, uh, and so forth. So okay. uh, in terms of uh, highlighting lessons to the journey to AI. I think, let me first just give you a few broad strokes, right? I mean, I mm -hmm. think as a, if you're playing this role of a chief data digital analytics officer, yep. this is a transformation role, which means that you are primarily a change agent. And this is something that, you know, I, it, over the course of this career uh, in, across these different companies, I've come to realize that mm -hmm. if there is uh, one label 
to describe what a chief data officer or chief digital officer or chief analytics officer does. It's change agent. You've mm -hmm. actually got to change the enterprise to transform it. Yeah. And uh, so the cognitive blueprint, right, which we arrived at, I mean, and it has those four major pillars of data, technology, and uh, uh, people mm. and process, right? Uh, that touches on all aspects of what a change agent in this particular field needs to be able to deal with mm -hmm. and use to affect change, right? So you use data and technology, you're gonna use that to affect the change, but the change is made to the processes and the people. When we say people, it's the cultural aspect of uh, of things. It's the education and training aspect of things. It's the right skilling, all that stuff that comes in. So that entire mix is to support. Uh, you know, you can think of it as the arsenal that the change agent needs to be able to move forward. So yeah. In a sense, that cognitive enterprise blueprint also uh, addresses, uh, you know, your uh, question as to. Uh, how you would go about it at the, at the highest level, right? Which is, you can't neglect any of those. Mm -hmm. Those four, you know, those, those quadrants that we put in there. If you neglect, they, they kind of have to all move in pace, you know, in step yeah. to be able yeah. to affect the change. Some may take off slightly, you know, a little ahead of the others, but you can't let them go too far ahead. And I'll give you an example. I mean, you have, I see companies setting up, uh, a transformation exercise, a major project, they'll even hire the overall leader and so forth. And then they'll kind of back into the data and say, oh, but you know, mm -hmm. we don't really have our data in shape to affect the transformation. And now you're kind of locked in. You've already hired the leader. The leaders come from a particular uh, you know, uh, set of experiences. Uh, you've kind of capped off the spend that you would on the transformation. Now you've suddenly found out that this whole area that you haven't attended to at all. So that's an example. Similarly, with technology, you can kind of come up with the same types of uh, examples, as well as with processes and workflows, mm -hmm. you know, because eventually you have to change the workflows. So I think that's the biggest uh, lesson mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of uh, what you need to do. Those things that we put down in the cognitive enterprise blueprint, they have to move in lockstep I see. for the for the for the transformation to be successful. You know, take you back to the start when when you you, you discussed how rapidly technology is evolving and continuing to evolve, thus changing the role of, of the CDO and, and the position of uh, enterprises. I mean, I'm guessing that that even for IBM, this is a, a continuous journey of, of sorts. Um, so, I mean, where do you see? Again, IBM's journey and, and perhaps the sort of broader landscape for enterprises looking to embark on their own transformation strategy and, and, and cognitive strategy. How do you see that kind of evolving in line with, with perhaps your predictions for, for the, the technological developments or, or evolutions that, that you sort of foresee? Yes. No. So, you know, I think the, uh, the, the hybrid cloud, that environment, that movement to cloud is going to be accelerated. And I, I actually think the, the, the COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic is going to help uh, fuel that. You, you already yep. see that, you know, people just having to work remotely, interact remotely and so forth. That just plays right, you know, naturally into that whole, whole era. So that will continue to be a critical, critical area. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of, uh, of AI, 
and uh, workflows you know they will that will become even more important now in the in that kind of uh, setup that we seem to be going to almost inevitably and so mm -hmm. that will be another aspect and then similarly you know cybersecurity and privacy and data ownership all that stuff will uh, become more and more relevant i think edge computing is going to be uh, one of those critical uh, uh, critical drivers as mm -hmm. uh, the data comes from you know literally thousands if not millions of uh, devices at the edge and we yep. see that already you know we've got uh, i mean one example i'll mention to you is we had as part of our uh, of our journey to cognitive enterprise we had uh, worked on our supply chain process and we had infused ai into managing the risk associated with our supply chain so we already had that set up it was already part of our platform you know we had the central platform and this was built as an application on top of that in keeping with the vision i had painted for you that you know you kind of yeah. build central capabilities and then different different departments can can do what they need to do so we had mm -hmm. this operational risk insight set up then covid-19 came along so we were able to overlay the covid-19 information on top of what we already had in terms of uh, ass assessing risk and uh, and you know suggesting uh, actions uh, in our supply chain so now pretty much uh, we made that available then to our internal departments because pretty much everybody can make use of it now right because you kind of yeah. understand uh, okay these are where all your suppliers are located and this is what the incidence of covid-19 looks like in those areas here's what seems to be happening in those particular locations you know from a covid-19 standpoint no people can start making judgments and adjustments and so similarly, you can then kind of flip over from supply chain to finance and you say, well, here are where our major customers are. Here's the business that we're getting out of their sites, those particular sites, and here's the incidence of COVID-19. So you okay. can kind of, you can see how this translates over to, uh, to everything. And, but the main point I was going to make in terms of uh, edge computing is when we looked at our supply chain, we had already gone down the, the, the path of having you know, essentially our shipments uh, pretty much mm -hmm. making use of our IoT framework also mm -hmm. give us data as to exactly where they were, what condition they were in, and so forth. And so, uh, you know, that's just going to scale up as mm -hmm. you do more, more of this kind of work and these uh, workflows become more remote. Yep. So you're going to have all these devices uh, which are pretty much at the edge that will be collecting data and passing it back, but also in a position to affect decision-making, right? And actually perhaps even make decisions. So you'll have to, they, they will have to have some level of intelligence. So I think that's another a major aspect of, uh, of uh, what CDOs will have to work with as we yep. look down the road, as mm. well as, uh, the aspects we talked about, you know, around uh, blockchain and mm -hmm. uh, privacy, these are all, uh, you know, further down the road. And I shouldn't forget uh, uh, quantum computing, because that's another one which is uh, a little further out. But at the pace at which it's moving, it's moved faster, you know, in uh, 2019 than I ever anticipated that it would move. Okay. And it, it's one that, you know, just has the potential 
to revolutionize uh, everything that we do. And AI would be at a completely different level once those uh, computers become practical. Okay. Indipal, I'm, I'm happy we've, we've kind of covered off those main areas. Is, is there anything else that you would like to highlight or that you would like to mention um, that, that we haven't perhaps touched on? Um, I think uh, aspects around, uh, you know, we've touched on things uh, generally, right? But like yeah. the aspects around uh, just operations where you're, and you talk about infusing workflow, uh, workflows with intelligence and so forth. Um, mm. You know, you, you, so I'll give you examples. I mean, we've just introduced uh, uh, AI ops. And okay. that's about, if you have, if you think of a, lo- a CIO with a large, organization and uh, you know uh, enterprise data centers and uh, essentially just running operations at scale yeah uh, yeah just automating that piece and being able to use AI to uh, to uh, to to help do a much better job at scale right mm-hmm. just going back to my comments about making it easier to to, to put these central capabilities in place mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a major aspect. Uh, in terms of uh, just automating and streamlining the pipelines and the operations that need to be done as we get to a you know a much more uh, extensive hybrid cloud uh, remote interaction type of ca- uh, t- type of environment. Uh, so just to give you a sense of what my uh, department looks like, right? Which will yeah, kind of yeah. give you a sense of the higher level areas. So there's a, there's a, the, I'll give you the major pillars of my, of my department. Okay. Uh, so there's a data engineering pillar, which is basically, these are the people who build that uh, uh, hybrid cloud central capability, uh, mm-hmm. trusted data and AI enablement. Then I have another pillar that just focuses on a highly specialized area of artificial intelligence called deep learning. Okay. And uh, that's uh, just a you know it, it it is just a very specialized area because you also need to to change uh, and tinker with the hardware and the software at the same time to be able to get those uh, those uh, methods to perform uh, well. Yeah. And do yeah. it in a way uh, you know. So one of the things I think in one of your questions you talked about a secret weapon that I alluded to. That yes, was, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Called automated metadata generation. Mm. And that had to do with applying these deep learning techniques to all the data that we have at IBM, you know, even historically, and you, and learn from that, and then so we could actually label the mm. new data that comes in automatically, and uh, so that's all that that that's an example of deep learning at an enterprise level. And the reason that's very important is because when you throw data into a data lake or some kind of catalog. Uh, people need to make sense of what that data is, you know, whether it'll even be useful for them before they go off and work it. And if you don't have good labels that the average business user can understand, uh, you know, you the data is useless, even though you may have all brought it in there, collected it and all that, you know, mm-hmm. it's just not curated well enough that people can use it. So, uh, so that, that's, that, that, that's, that's an example there of uh, being able to streamline those, uh, those operations so that you're able to do that effectively. So that's deep learning. Then yep. I have another area that has to do with uh, the governance frameworks, data governance frameworks across all of IBM. So these are the people who also 
uh, not just work on the governance of data that sits in our uh, central, uh, you know, hybrid cloud data lakes, mm-hmm. but also work on like the European Union GDPR framework, you know, getting us readiness for that. Yes, yes. Privacy aspects and so forth. It's been a fascinating call. Really great. Um, Interpol's right. I, I, I get the feeling I could talk at length with him for hours. Um, if yeah, only at yeah. the time in our diaries. It's, it's really interesting stuff. So I certainly don't want to let that slip away. Um, and, you know, undoubtedly with, with the subject as, as, as broad as this, um, one really hope to speak to you soon. And again, please pass my thanks on to Interpol. It was, it was genuinely a really interesting call. Right on. Thanks so much, man. Thank, Thank you. Thank you both. Take care. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.